Frank, 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 it's that time again. Is it a multiple of 10 episode? Oh, you know it. This is episode 30 of Merge Conflict. I'm so excited. These are our favorite episodes by far because it's all about lightning talks. Six topics, five minutes each. That is our guarantee. And heck, we've done a really good job in the past. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I don't know. I get stressed out every time. I'm like, it's a lot of topics and it's a very short time. But I figure uh, we were talking about it. These are more like introductions also. So not just lightning little uh, quick things, but maybe if you want to get back to us and let us know if you want us to dive deeper into any of these, let us know. Yeah, because I really think that we could probably do a full 30-minute episode on any of these topics, but they're in our back catalog. We want to start going through. We have like 150 different things that we want to cover in Merge Conflict that we keep adding every week. So these are super fun because we can just knock off six. And also, you guys on Twitter can tell us what you want to hear on Lightning Talks. We always tweet out before we start recording them and even a few weeks ahead of time and gathering feedback has been really good. So some of the topics will be from our listeners. So we appreciate everyone um, putting in their requests, but then some of them are for us. So we're super excited. So six topics, five minutes each. And they're pretty random this time. (laughs) Oh, they are. Like the collection we have here. This is a smattering of different topics all over the place. Um, I'm excited. And you you read an interesting uh, uh, statistics to me earlier about YouTube videos and how YouTube, like the average watch time is five minutes. So I think that we nailed the lightning talk five minute thing then. (laughs) Everyone's attention span. Yeah. So we just got to keep it moving. No breathing. Uh, Just barrage of information i guess let's do it let's do it i'm excited well we can count it down and you can do the first topic so i'm super excited about it we're, we, we don't even tell you what the topics are they come and they go 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 boom so let's do it frank so let's start with iMessage apps. It's been a while and iMessage apps are, you can, you can write them. We're developers. We can write iMessage apps and we're users. We can use iMessage apps. So these include things like animated stamps, I guess, at the, or <laughs> stickers, I guess they call them. Stickers. And then, yeah. And then also, um, apps like games mostly. I've seen mostly games like you can play chess or something. So what are your feelings? What's your feeling? Oh, my goodness. Oh, iMessage apps are really interesting. What I've seen so far is some terrible implementations and some really great implementations. So stickers are fine. It seems like if you're an artist or you're a brand, I mean, sticker packs, there's no coding required. You create some stickers, you put them in a pack and you sell them. Um, and, and that's <laughs> okay. I'm not an artist, though, so I don't really know. Um, but I think if you were an 8-bit artist, that'd be really great. Like Pokemon 8-bit ones are really popular, things like that. Mm-hmm. So here's what I've seen. Uh, Heather and I have been playing some games on our iPhones back and forth. And I first made her install a Pong game Mm -hmm. uh, for iPhone for iMessages. Or did you have to pay for it? This one was free. Okay. And it was the worst thing in the entire world. (laughs) Because how these things work is iMessage apps are really cool. If you're going to do messages back and forth, is that essentially instead of having to boot up an app to go play a game, you just, the, the, the app is like embedded into iMessage. So you play the little portion of the game and then it gets sent over. So with Pong, as you'd imagine, the ball goes down, you hit it and then it snapshots it and then sends it back over <laughs> to them. It's like the longest game of Pong ever. And we played for two turns and uninstalled it. It sounds fun. So the implementation just wasn't that great. Well, because what happens is, is you know, at this point, when you open it, Frank, so if I send you a Pong, you'll get like a countdown of three, two, one, and then you'll actually see like the ball come. 
try it it's terrible <laughs> um but but then we played one which is words with friends and words with friends you actually have to install the full application so there's an app icon on your desktop and then there's an iMessage extension extra so that's kind of interesting because you can build these iMessage apps to be an extension of your existing app or they can be a standalone like no application on the home screen and that was the perfect type of app that really worked well yeah, it was interesting. iMessage was becoming kind of an operating system. So mm-hmm. from a theoretical standpoint, I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome because, you know, games always take over new operating systems. That's what you get an operating system for, so you can play games. Mm-hmm. So I figured at this point in time, I'd be playing a million games. But the truth is I'm playing zero. And basically, I never use any of the advanced features on iMessage. So I, I've completely failed, but I still love it. From a theoretical point of view, I still think it's the greatest. Yeah, and, and theoretically, it's just an extension. So, right, I'm pretty sure that it's just an extension. Mm-hmm. If you had made today extensions or anything like that, then technically it's the same. Yeah, it is. And they can stand alone and up, be uploaded to that store by themselves without an app. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that idea that it's a separate, like you don't have to do a full app if you just have a really good idea mm-hmm. to put into this little iMessage thing. But I'm not sure how discoverable it is because it's also a different app store. Like they've kind of integrated into the main app yeah, store. Like, but when was the last time you pressed the app button and went into the app store there? Um, I don't know, a while ago. Yeah, me too. Oh, well, still a great place, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. I think that I think that stickers make a lot of sense because people are so emotional yeah. and emojis and things like that. I've been but using I, stickers. I've got this great one. It's called a uh, grammar snob. And so whenever my friends misspell something, I can uh, put a little sticker on there and fit, correct them. It's, it's important for my I work. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's also cool because it's like interactive. Like I have the Mario pack. So you yeah. can like take a photo of yourself and then you can add stickers on top of it and you can also do it retroactively too it's really kind of crazy actually <laughs> i don't know how they do that. <laughs> so we're Magic. just turning it into snapchat slowly with lots of apps that we tell our friends to pay for mm-hmm. yeah yeah basically well, snapchat clone <laughs> yeah yeah basically a snap snapchat clone but i mean are you going to make some of this or are you going to put a full ide into the iMessage <laughs> so you can send code snippets <laughs> back and forth about it but no that, that's not going to happen i do think of it from like a ai perspective though of um transmitting messages to like little bots or something to have a natural language interface to those but mm. that's been like my only desire so far oh that'd be kind of interesting yeah i'm excited to see what happens if, if anything really takes off but right now i just kind of see it as a Eh, like a checkbox if you're building an app and you're like i'll do yet another extension (laughs) no i think if you're doing awesome stickers or funny photo things i think it's a great market i'm just so surprised that the games we haven't seen games take off yeah there's some good ideas there that could happen um but uh, talking about apps uh, and kind of the release of applications one thing that's actually really new at least for android developers so i don't know how aware you are of this frank But there's been this ongoing thing with Google Play where you can actually have an open beta or open alpha of your application. So let's say you are getting ready to release, like I was releasing my scoreboard application and I wanted people, I didn't actually want people to test it, but the easiest way to create my own little alpha is to actually just say it's an open beta and then I can just go ahead and download it from the app store as long as I opt in. This is not actually a really interesting concept because I I accidentally did this for scoreboard 
And like 10 people downloaded my application before I haven't even released it, nor did I even finish it. <laughs> so I thought I thought it was like an interesting concept that I wanted to talk about. Like, hey, should yeah. you release beta apps even before you can download them? Because an ongoing beta makes sense, right? I've already released the app and I have an ongoing beta of my applications that people can opt into. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this pre-release beta <laughs> apps and, and if you think this is a good idea or not. Okay, uh, just for perspective, though, uh, my what I know of the Android deployment is I go in, I do all the required fields, and I publish my app. I don't use any of the advanced stuff. So mm-hmm. in my mind, um, Android does have all these advanced deployment things, but they're all just magical. So this comes to no surprise to me. I just assume this was happening the whole time because I just assume <laughs> Google's constantly distributing your app. But to get to the main topic of do I think this is good? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think the earlier you have testers on your app, the better, even if it's incomplete, even if it's missing features. The moment it does one thing, I almost want beta testers from that point on. Uh, unit tests are great. Uh, dev tests are great. But it really needs to be in the hands of people. And the problem with beta testers is you can always find an early batch but they get tired of playing with your app very quickly. So if Google's out there finding people to uh, test drive the app, I'm all for that. Yeah, it was actually it was actually quite interesting because I go, oh man, if I have ten downloads without having done doing anything, I was like, well, I'm doing something right as far as search terms or the any name of the feedback. No, here's the problem with their 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 feedback cycle is that so you have to opt into it. So let's say you find my app on the App Store, it'll literally put a beta tag on mm-hmm. your app name by default. Okay. And then you have to say it says like this application, you know, isn't beta and may not be fully finished. <laughs> um but anyone can find it, can they search for it? Yeah, you can search for it. Okay. And yeah, you I'm, just, I'm liking this a little bit less. I thought it was just the Google algorithm splattering it around randomly. I don't like that it's searchable. That means I think like it's it up or something. I think it's searchable because I don't know how else anyone else would have found it. <laughs> uh, and and then they can they have to opt in though, so they actually can't just install. They have to say I opt in to this mm-hmm. beta, and then they, then they can download and install. Yeah. It, and they cannot leave an app store review, as far as my knowledge. Okay. And I think there's a button to leave feedback to like email me, but no one did that. So I haven't seen it. That's too no. bad. I, I wish you could almost put a requirement on there. The app will delete unless you leave feedback right away. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, that's the whole point. I'd be willing to accept... Uh, let's be honest. I mean, I don't want to release an app to the world publicly that doesn't represent, like, the finished product. Like, I don't want to be judged on it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I want people using the app so they can send me feedback and I can fix it and make it awesome. Yeah, it's really like a catch-2020 right. because... I was happy and then I was like worried all of yeah. a sudden. And so you're you're doing a pros and cons. Like, am I willing to risk the exposure to get the beta testing? Mm-hmm. I almost wish that's why there was an alpha or a force feedback or I don't know. I just wish it wasn't in search results. I just wish it yeah. was the algorithm plopping them around. Yeah, it'd be cool if I could just like send out that tweet like, hey, you know, I'm do- you know, I'm just here's a link to my new beta. And they, they have de- they have a closed beta too. So they have multiple tiers. Right. So they have this public beta, then they have a private beta, and then they have like a private private beta where you have to be on a list. Mm-hmm. The normal private is this is a link that only people you can't search, but you can only, you know, send it to somebody. Yeah. So there that, that option does exist, but the this open beta is interesting, I should say. And maybe if they did batch batches of open mm-hmm. beta, like 10 at a time, maybe that'd be okay too. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. 
yeah, there's a lot of interesting ideas, but it, it does worry me a, a bit if like all of a sudden all these applications and then we get into this weird, no one's sure what kind of status their app is in. Yeah. No. Well, I have a pretty random next topic for us, and that is GPU programming. That's because I found myself writing a lot of GPU code. That's graphic processor code. And it's writing in, let's call it C++, but you don't really get objects, so let's call it C. (laughs) Writing a lot of code in C lately, but I've been having a lot of fun. Have you tried this before? Uh, coding in C? I, I mean, I to, <laughs> no, I no, GPU programming. <laughs> you, you know, I, uh, back in the day when I used to be a game programmer, I mean, mm-hmm. it was all really GPU programming. I was working on shaders, yep, um, which were all, all terrible and fun, <laughs> and like you could do crazy things with it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, that, that's what I've been basically doing. Um, I've been kind of inspired by this one website. It's called uh, Shader Toy. It's been around forever. I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners know about it. But it's basically a place where people can upload uh, graphics shaders. So these are just mm-hmm. programs that the graphics card runs and generates an image out of. It's the most basic kind of program. So your entry point is a main function, and your output is you tell it a pixel color at a certain pixel location. Mm-hmm. And it has just spurred this hugely creative uh, community, let's just call it, I guess. And you can just go to shadertoy.com and just sit there all night looking at all the creations people have come up with. And it's fun. It, it's, a, it's a constrained environment. You know, these GPUs only go so fast. When you write a bad one, it slows down your computer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can create some really amazing effects. And I don't know, I'm just having a lot of fun with it. I w- I'll tell you, when I worked on shaders uh, at Crunch Time Games for Shred Nebula, which you can go download, you can see the shaders that I made. I didn't do anything too crazy. We had to make one that was this like nebulous blob. It was supposed to be like this <laughs> acidic cloud that would do like this morphing and kind of like like an octopus type thing. And, okay. and that was kind of morphing on the Z levels up and down. And then we did a very simple shader, which is... Um, Think of like a like a, a texture that has to scroll, like arrows that are constantly moving and just looping over. It's a very simple shader, right? It's just literally putting something in, moving it over, and you want to offload that onto the the GPU. Or it's so powerful. Yeah. They were super fun because they weren't overly complex. Once you no, once you yeah. figured out the shader, uh, the ins and outs, then like you could actually go and do some really amazing things. I didn't know about this website though. I don't know if it's. I mean, it's been around for a while, like you said. So I'd be interested mm-hmm. to uh, to know if it was around in 20, 2005, 2006 when I was making the game. So ten years yeah, ago. I don't know oh how goodness. far back that history goes, but I, I've been looking at the site for at least a few years now. It's, it takes me a while to get inspired. <laughs> yeah. Now, are, are you putting that in anything? Are you putting that yeah. in like apps or can you like deploy those on an iPhone? I do what I always do. I started writing a map renderer. Anyone who mm. knows me, <laughs> whenever I'm procrastinating or want to try something new, um, my kind of like favorite project to keep rewriting over and over again are map renderers. And so this time I'm going for this... Um, uh, I don't like very gamey view of the world. So an right. interactive um, streets and buildings and trees and lakes and all that. And I am just putting every graphical technique I know about because <laughs> I'm just having fun writing shaders. 
are you making some water shaders? Because if you have pretty oh, yeah. water, that is the epitome of <laughs> the most amazing shaders. That was our big thing when we were making the game. It's like how we didn't have any water, but we would look at all the water oh, shaders. Oh, so good. Yeah. So you go to shadertoy.com and I swear a quarter of them are just water shaders. And there are some amazing ones. So I haven't got them, gotten them fully integrated yet, but they're high on the list. I've, I've got some nice specular reflections. My water's not bad, but... It'd be, it'd be cool if you could render like real time um like like how the the water is moving currents. and like the tides and the currents yeah, you can download all the current charts and then you know oh scan them in yeah you can do this <laughs> how so far do you take a hobby <laughs> yeah would that basically kill your iphone then if like you put those onto an iphone or like is this worth investigating more to like when we talk about performance applications because yeah. the gpus are just sitting there yeah so the reason i'm actually doing it is because the iphone's gpu has gotten to the state where you can write some amazing uh shaders at this point i am doing um this very graphically intensive technique called ssao screen space ambient occlusion testing to do all my shadowing and shading oh it looks gorgeous I love it. But I'm doing that at like, you know, their 4K screen, whatever an iPhone screen is. And I'm rendering um, my triangle size is the size of a pixel. So I have millions and millions of triangles on the screen. And I'm still getting around 20 frames per second. So I can easily back it off. But that's a lot of triangles. And I'm doing a lot of graphics for fun. (laughs) I like it. This stuff can make it really pretty. Well, dude, three topics down, three left to go. Oh my goodness. We're doing pretty good. We've been staying on time. I like this. Yeah. Within within five seconds. I'm judging yeah. us. <laughs> not, not bad. Yeah. We, we, I think we did better before, but before we move on, I want to take a little break. Got to take a little break. Because uh, I, I know that we just added a lot of input, a lot of feedback, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on for our listeners. So slow it down for a second. We've got to thank our good, good friends, Raygun. Um, yet again, Raygun to the rescue, sponsoring Merge Conflict. We cannot thank Raygun enough. If you don't know about Raygun, they're awesome. Uh, I think every before every podcast, I just I I, I you know speak the gospel of Raygun mm-hmm. to uh, to Frank about how they're really improving my applications. But it's really cool because it's essentially crash reporting for any application, whether it's a website, whether it's a mobile application, whether it's web, ASP.NET, JavaScript, Xamarin, Objective C, Java, doesn't matter, right? You can literally get crash reporting in your application in under a minute. That'll handle all of your uncaught exceptions, but you can even track your own and you can add user data. So if you want to know, Frank, like, oh, someone hit the debug button or they went into the settings or they're in dark mode, or you can, you can just put this splattering of like a dictionary of string key value pairs and get all this information back about these crashes, which is really cool. And then you can have that integrate into any of your different services like Slack. Frank and I use Slack, GitHub, Zendesk, Fogbugs, you, you name it, they integrate into it, which is really cool. Um, and I love their motto. I think, I think that's really what won me over, which is all about spending more time building great software and less time fighting it. Um, and, you know, I think Frank and I, we've probably fought our software for some time in the past, and it's always good to get those bugs. So... Um, I can't thank Raygun enough. Uh, I usually give you a full 30 day trial at raygun.com slash merge conflict. So check them out raygun.com slash merge conflict. Thanks again, Raygun. I've enjoyed Raygun recently just because I get to watch your apps now. Somehow I got added to your project. So now I get to see how your apps are doing too. Oh, that's true. I forgot because you can add team members to your applications and yep. I wanted to show you. So now <laughs> you can spy on James. <laughs> uh, yes, it's pretty good. Thank you, Raygun. Thanks, Raygun. So this is my topic. I'm super excited about this because I launched that new scoreboard application 
And since I started building applications nearly six years ago, 2011 was when I published my first app on the App Store, 2011, 2012, something like that. Uh, advertising and publicizing your application like has changed. And I wanted to kind of talk about how you feel people should advertise their apps and kind of what I did. Uh, I mean, there's like app screenshots, right? And there's different ways of approaching that and app videos. But I think that there's different ways. Like, have you done anything special for advertising your applications, Frank? Oh, I've tried a little bit of everything uh, over the years. I, I've, I've tried the simple routes of buying ads on like Facebook. And mm -hmm. I've tried printing out pamphlets and handing them out to people. Oh, I like that. Terrible idea. Um, <laughs> I've never cold called anyone though, or anything like that, and I've never spammed bloggers. Have you ever spammed bloggers? I, I've never spammed bloggers. I've often heard different app developers saying like, "Oh, that we'll send out promo codes and we'll send mm -hmm. out different things ahead of time, or contact the Apple App Store ahead of time to be like, hey, you know, right. blah blah blah." Um, I've never done any of that. No, and I mean they say it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've just never done that. No, what happens generally, um, like bloggers are notoriously hard to get the attention of. So that one tends to work more word of mouth. So yeah. it's a positive feedback loop. As your app becomes more popular, more people hear about it, more people blog about it, more people hear about it. So it's really just a matter of trying to kickstart that loop. So I'm, I'm not against um, trying to get some ads on bloggers sites. So I think... If you can't get them to blog about you, at least try to get an ad up on their site. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that if you can get like a tasteful ad where you're like John Gruber does this very well. I mean, I'm sure it's probably, I don't know what the price is to, to sponsor <laughs> Daring Fireball. But uh, but if you could, it's a really nice ad spot that's very tasteful. It's not like a Google ad or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's like, hey, this is a handcrafted type advertisement that I like this application and they're sponsoring. So it's like, you know, type of a flow. So that would be pretty cool. I don't know how to do yeah. that. I guess you just reach out to them and then pay money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the generally blogs that big have actually a pretty well-defined machine. So if you email them, say you want to advertise on their site, most likely you'll get an email right back with that some numbers. <laughs> yeah. Actually. But that's, I would say uh, that's not what I do nowadays. Um, I don't do too much of that advertising. Mostly I just try to kickstart that positive feedback loop. But mm -hmm. every so often I do have one site I still love to advertise on and that's Reddit because mm -hmm. they have this pretty simple uh, like ad creation site. It's semi bid based. I don't really understand that part, but you usually end up paying like a hundred bucks for a day or two. I don't even remember. Uh, but it's fun because uh, sometimes you actually get good comments from people and it's not just a way to advertise, but a way to get some feedback pretty quickly. It can oh, be I like that. You have a good app, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty good idea. Cause yeah, people will download, even if it's a free app, that's pretty a good idea. We should do that for merch conflict Ooh. for podcasts. That's not a bad idea. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's different I, prices for the different uh, reddits. So you can pick your subreddit yeah. essentially. You can pick oh. multiple even. That is smart. And then you can schedule it for which day of the week and different days are different prices. It turns out people browse differently. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's actually really smart. I never even thought about that. I w always went down the traditional routes of, well, obviously self-promotion, right? Writing mm -hmm. really good blog posts about promoting it, Absolutely. tweeting it out. Yeah. That's my primary way. <laughs> always self-promote. Uh, and, you know, I actually went down promoting with Twitter ads and Facebook ads, and they're just really expensive. Uh 
Yeah, and, and it was hard to quantify what they were coming back to. The app store has always had this um, tracking problem, ad tracking problem of, you know, figuring out did someone come from a search? Did someone come from a whatever? I guess they're trying to improve it, but I just yeah. never felt like as whether I was getting my money's worth on Facebook. It was too hard to tell. Yeah. And, and in the world where people use like ad removal and like all this stuff, I mean, especially if you're a techie type application, like my yeah. applications sometimes are very specific targets um, as far as, you know, techie crowd that we might be building for. Yeah. A lot of those people just might have ad blocker <laughs> That's on. Totally never I didn't think it. of that. Oh, it yeah. just depressed me. Yeah. My, my new one that I want to go to, and I highly recommend everyone do it as I talk about in the last 30 seconds here is if you're creating an iOS application, uh, Apple created something called search ads. And if you got an email from them about a hundred dollar credit, still good till the end of March. But this is actually really slick because if someone is searching for an application, let's say a score, you know, score <laughs> application, you can put in different keywords and you can pay per whatever that click is worth. And it just comes up first. So you become the first result, which is actually really good. Worth it does every say penny. ad. <laughs> Search rankings are so hard on there. Oh, worth yeah. every penny. <laughs> yeah, it's worth every penny. So I say, you know, check out uh, Search ads. I just ran my first one, so I'll definitely report back of how it does in a few weeks. But um, they're you know, giving away free money right now, so I'm about it. <laughs> well, we just did kind of a, a app topic, so now we have to do something low-level again. Kind of my topic. It might be yep. a small pattern here. But I want to talk about, well, in general, big learning, but in specific, a library called TensorFlow. And the reason I want to talk about it is because Miguel Diacaza did a .NET binding to TensorFlow. And I'm really excited about it because I really want to start training and building neural networks to do mm. junk. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to have them doing, but I feel like it's a topic I need to keep up with and... Yeah, I just want to keep up with it. It seems interesting and fascinating. So I'm excited for this library. And I want your thoughts on neural networks, James. Great. Yeah, uh, definitely come to me when it comes to neural networks, because I know so <laughs> much about it. Uh, and here's the thing is, so what do you know? What do you know about them? So what I understand, not necessarily about neural networks, but about machine learning and machine intelligence in general, is that you create there's some inputs, right? So there's something that goes in. And then you create this like, pipes of tubes of things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this formula and then something comes out this machine learning model you create a model and and stuff comes out i don't understand it i don't quite get it Pretty i, I really want to know state of the art that's what we're all doing right now um so mm -hmm. in the land of neural networks where people are coming up with different models like what goes inside uh between the two ends the input versus the output mm -hmm. but it really is that simple it's here are some inputs here are the outputs that i expect here's like some training data here are some examples now unleash it onto the whole world, you know, take in all the world's data and try to do your best job by using the model that you trained. Yeah, you know, I think like um, uh, Heather was setting up something where she would do a se sentiment analysis. I think that's really popular. Mm -hmm. It was like an R script. And she would just do like a sampling of like, here's the, the last thousand tweets that came in and then it would it would reel it in and then do like the sentiment analysis. And I thought that is basically, I don't know what machine learning, if that's doing anything, I guess it's the, the machine learning is the sentiment analysis, I guess, of the different words and the different things that are good at going in. Is that correct? Yeah, well, the learning is actually learning. It's right. um, when it starts out, it just has millions, literally millions of variables. It just doesn't know. And so while you train it over time, this is something you do on a big, big expensive computers with big GPUs, you keep feeding it the example data. Mm 
And over time, it turns, it figures out some of those numbers and some of those values. Then what you have is a model file, a pre-trained model file. So the neat thing about having TensorFlow running is I could say put TensorFlow on my iPhone mm. and take a trained model. I don't have to train on the iPhone. The model can already be trained. And uh, then I can do fun image recognition stuff, for example. I could um, mm. spot cars, track cars. I could find the sky, separate that out from the rest of the picture, try to pull out the foreground from the background. Uh, lots of different things you can do um, with the current neural networks. You know where I just was uh, not too long ago is we went to the relaunch of the Living Computer Museum. Have you gone yet? Oh, not, I haven't gone to the relaunch, but I love uh, that museum. So we went um, to the, it's, this is one of the best things, this is going to go off topic, but it relates <laughs> to this. I know we only have a few, a few minutes left <laughs> on this topic. But um, the Living Computer Museum is awesome, all these old frameworks and all this stuff, but they redid the bottom floor and they have an entire section on, on AR and VR and machine learning and all this oh. stuff. And they had a model, what you're talking about right now, I don't know if it was TensorFlow or what else, it's probably sure, Azure Machine Learning. Yeah. But you could hold up any item and it would go through a trained model to figure out what it was. And then you could step through like the algorithms and the pixels and everything oh. that it was doing to come up and say, this is a hammer. So it was showing you the model processing in real time so you could watch it stepping through kind of? Yeah. Wow, yeah. It was no cool. one ever visualizes the in-between steps. It's kind of pointless. But you see, you know, like uh, Google did that with um, its uh, imagination one where you would feed it a picture and then it would see puppy dogs everywhere. Do you uh, remember that one? No. Oh, it's Sound called like Deep dogs, Dreaming yeah. or something like that. Mm. And what it was was running the neural network in reverse. So if I trained a neural network to look for dogs... And then I gave it a picture of clouds, it would image dogs into the clouds as best it can. So it would try to show you where is a dog in this cloud, and then it would actually put the dog there, and it would distort it, and it would make an image full of dogs. And it was hilarious. There's some really uh, trippy artwork you, you can get from it, running like the network that. backwards. Yeah. So this TensorFlow, do I have to, like, where does the data come from, I guess? You That's always the hardest part. The data comes from you. You supply the input data, the training data. You provide the output examples, you know, given this input, I expect this output, you provide lots of that data, you uh, design um, a network, but you can just pick one of the standard networks, you train it up, that gives you a trained model file, which is just a big binary file, and then you throw that onto your iPhone, and then you can do image recognition and things like that with that trained model file. That'd be pretty cool. Have you used any of these other big data solutions, like the Azure Machine Learning or the Google big data platform? Yep, I've basically looked at all of them. <laughs> okay. So the the fun thing about TensorFlow is it's just a library. It can run oh. anywhere. So I was waiting mm. to find a neural network that I could run on the iPhone. A lot of the big ones are big cloud-based ones where you're logging into servers for good reason. Training takes forever. Yeah, that makes sense. You offload it and you need to, to run somewhere else. Exactly. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, it's definitely the future. I'm super interested in it. I feel like I don't know enough. So it's Hopefully something in a year from now when we do lightning talks round 105, um, I can come back and be like, this is what I learned about machine learning and TensorFlow. <laughs> I'll hold um, you to that. Yeah. I'm excited for this last one because I think it'll be the biggest clash that we have. <laughs> and this is a generic statement, a generic question that I came up with months upon months ago. It was that at I the top we could of the list. We, we, we have a topic sheet and it's been at the top of the topic sheet for a while. It has been. And I think it's been really on the top of my mind because I've been releasing a lot more apps recently and people keep asking me for other platforms. And 
Same with libraries, which is, do I really need to deploy an application on all the platforms? Uh, and I traditionally don't, uh, and I don't, and it kind of depends. Like, so when I looked at this topic for me as an independent developer, like, do I need all the platforms? And what I'm realizing is, am I selling something? Like, am I selling an application or am I selling in-app purchases? You just really need an iPhone app. Cause that's the only thing that's going to make you money. <laughs> um, and it's like a nice bonus if you have an Android app and like, I don't even know what the windows market is anymore. Um, and I think that's the first thing is, do you want to make money? Do you need all the platforms? Like obviously being on more platforms means you have more customers, but then it really comes down to a maintenance cost, right? Like, do you yeah. want to maintain all the applications? Like, listen, I love Xamarin. I love the ability to be on every single platform. And I love that. And I traditionally go to iOS and Android and maybe a windows application, maybe, but at least those two first. But I think that, yeah, maybe over time, but don't think that you need to be there all on day one, I guess is maybe kind of what I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for us to clash because <laughs> I, I, I've been along the same thought pattern since about 2012. Uh, so I did one thing uh, when I wrote iCircuit. I then ported it to a bunch of different platforms, I think five in total. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I only ever really made money on two of those five. So it really Mac is important to not spread yourself out too thin. Like maintaining mm-hmm. all those apps was just way too much work. And so what I what you really need to do is just pick the top performing systems. And top performing means it's distributed to the most people. Like maybe you want Android for that, or do you want to make money from it? So maybe you want an iOS version, or in my case, it's actually Mac versions actually come up a lot. And yeah. so I'm definitely on the list of... I, I still write cross-platform code, though. It's a small handicap. Like for MoCast, I wrote iOS only code, but pretty much mm-hmm. every other app I write, I still write in a cross-platform way. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's okay to release an app just for a single platform. If you're really crafting like an iMessage app, like I'm creating an app that's just going to be an iMessage app. Well, sure. that's only going to be on iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what it comes down to, like when I think about if I go into the general broader terms, which is, all right, we're not just talking about, you know, I, you know, independent developers, I'm Snapchat. Like it's very advantageous for me to be on every single platform. Like if your sole companion application, you're a bank, you're a, you're a, a, you know, a lender, you're a automotive dealer, something like that. You should be on every single platform, like hands down. I keep seeing people like removing their apps from app because like the Facebook app on the iPad pro is still terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you look at it, yeah, like a Facebook, right? It would be crazy for them to remove a Windows application, whether it's phone or desktop or whatever. It'd be kind of crazy for me to to really think that they would to do that. And I do see people like moving away from like Windows Phone or Windows Desktop. I think when I look at all platforms, I really I look at like Windows 10 Desktop, iPhone, Android, Mac. Like those are my platforms or web, I guess. But um. I don't know. I think that's still important. And I agree with you. Like, I agree with you that like, even if I'm building a single application, I still architect it in a cross-platform way because I think it's more maintainable that way anyways. Well, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Your maintenance is always going to be terrible. So do whatever you can to help yourself there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We do have a little bit of a bias because I'm sure web is up there too. I'm sure you could make money off the web if you tried really hard. I can't Mm -hmm. see it being that much harder than say the app store. Um, but yeah, for me, it's still iOS, Mac, Android next, and then windows, something windows. 
Yeah. I think, I think like my mind is so jaded cause I'm always Android first because I'm an Android user. So I always <laughs> want like the best experience there, but I've started to slowly well, it's Move whether you want ways. to make money, that's all. <laughs> I know. I don't even want to make all that much money. I just want to, I, wa- I wanted to explore the avenues of developers making money and realizing what you have to go through on a, on a daily basis. And I'm realizing that it's hard. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's hard. I always like to say that it, it's a, it's a, if, if, if mobile development was easy, everyone would be a mobile developer, right? And, yeah. and, it's not easy. Well, development in general is not easy, but being an independent is a little tricky. There's a lot of pros, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a, quite a bit of luck, honestly. Yeah. So I guess yeah, do do what's right for you, but I, I still think that at least two. I, I think two platforms. How many how many platforms do you think? One platform. I, I two start platform? with one. Always start with one. You got to release a polished product, and unless you're doing uh, some UI framework that lets you write 100% cross-platform user interfaces then otherwise you do got to focus on just one platform for release. Yeah. Again, this is not for the big companies. Big companies out there just hire contractors and release on every platform simultaneously. Yeah, you got to be on every platform if you're if you're an enterprise or you're you know, big company things like that. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I thought we were going to disagree so much more. No, you've come uh-huh. around. I mean, I yeah, I've been there. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much work no matter what. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, yeah, like the Evolve Conference app, that was on every platform. And then people were like, oh, can you do Windows Phone 8.1? And I was like, no, I, just can't. I literally can't because I can't do it. So you my six-year-old operating system. Yeah. <laughs> Four years. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing on iOS, when I think of all platforms, like I only target iOS 9 and 10. That's it. Like I'm good. Yeah. So. I've given up on that too. Yeah. Anyways, I've gone way, we've gone way over time on this because it's kind of like an evolved talk. It was your final topic and I knew, I knew you've been thinking about it a lot, so I didn't want to stop you. I have been. Now, if it was just better to make user interfaces for iOS, if that just wasn't a disaster. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not even going to engage with that comment. Uh huh. That's why I'm an Android guy. I love it. Um, that is one thing I know that we definitely clash on. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah you your Android UIs are just gorgeous works of art. <laughs> I mean, at least it's a it's an XML readable. I think I just accidentally engaged with you. <laughs> yeah, you did it. There you go. Po- keep poking, Frank. <laughs> keep poking you. <laughs> Anyways, oh my goodness, this is so much fun. I love these lightning talks rounds because. I learned so much about stuff. I didn't even think we were going to talk about shaders. And I was like, oh, dude, I talked about yeah. shaders like all that day. We so went from like selling apps to shaders to GPU to iMessage. We're, we're all over the place, but it's fun for us. Well, it helps us a clear out our list of topics that we've been wanting to talk about, but don't want to devote a whole episode to, but yeah, also it's just fun. <laughs> Yeah. And, and let us know if you want to hear something more in details. Like I said, just hit us up on Twitter. We would love it. We would do a whole topic on anything you guys want. Um, so you guys and gals out there, just send us an email, mergeconflict.fm at gmail.com. Tweet at us, mergeconflict.fm. You can get a hold of us anywhere. Just go to mergeconflict.fm. You'll find us. If you use iTunes and you like using iTunes and you love this podcast, please leave us a review. That would help us so much. We would love you forever. We already love you forever, but we love you that much more. And that's about it. I think that's pretty much it for Merge Conflict Episode 30. Anything else from you, Frank? Nope. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.